right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. My name is Kevin Foss, and I am a licensed clinician specializing in the treatment of OCD and anxiety disorders, and uh, I thank you all for joining me today. So for those of you who are new, this is a question and answer based podcast where you get to send me questions about OCD and anxiety and, and you know anxiety disorders and the spectrum of anxiety and all that stuff. And um, I will be more than happy to read your question, consider it, and put it up on a future episode, just like the episodes or just like the questions on today's episode. So if you have a question that you'd like for me to talk about or to go over um, in this uh, anonymous format, uh, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can submit a question there. There's a, a link there that you should be able to see. Uh, fill out that information. It goes directly to me. I will. I read all the questions, and uh, I will be putting them up. Um, everybody, if you have listened to the podcast and you like it, um, the, the best thing that you can do to support the show would be to tell someone about it. Uh, you can tweet about it. You can uh, Instagram about it. You can put it up on Facebook. You can tell it uh, or, or suggest it to your therapist. You can uh, give it to or suggest it to your group if you're a part of one uh, as, as a resource that perhaps was helpful for you you. Uh, You can also go over to um, iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts and uh, write a review, give a a five-star rating um, that that helps people find the show that that also just warms my heart to know that there are people out there who are listening, who are enjoying uh, and and more importantly are just learning something from this. Um, This is, um, doing podcasts is very weird in the sense that um, I sit in a room and I get these questions. I, I read through a couple. Sometimes I write notes. A lot of times I write notes. Today I'm not going to because we're just going to see how it goes. And um, then then I, I answer and kind of yammer on and then later on edit stuff out. But I, I don't get to see someone in front of me. So it, when I'm a, you know, during my regular job, I see the person in front of me, either, you know, online doing face-to-face or doing teletherapy. Or they're in my office and I get to see their reactions. I get to ask more questions. I get to process, um, you know, uh, thoughts, feelings, sensations, go deeper, uh, ask about things that may have nothing to do with the original question, but may may lead me somewhere else in, in the communication or in the conversation. Um, so it's, it's kind of a weird thing to do. Um, so I, I, I do appreciate everybody's messages. And sometimes I'll get uh, Instagram messages. By the way, I'm, I am a Fearcast podcast over at the Instagrams. Um, and uh, for, for anyone who sends me a message, it is just, uh, it's wonderful to hear your voice or, or at least read your voice. But um, but uh, I, I, this is not the original point for me to bring this up. But um, there, if you did want to meet and if you are going to any of the uh, upcoming OCD conferences, either the one in Denver, the online IOCDF conference, or the if you're in SoCal, the OCD SoCal conference, I will be speaking at all of them. Uh, we just got uh, information back in the official uh, information back on uh, which ones we'll be doing. And I, I have, I'm a part of uh, talks in all three of them. So I'm, I'm very lucky and very honored to be a part of those. So uh, if you're, if you are planning on going, uh, stop on by, send me a message over there. I'd love to hear from you. Um, and again, if you're going to go to Denver, I'm planning on going to Denver unless, you know, 
I don't know, the world shuts down again, or I somehow get some weird, unexplainable disease, or I don't know, fill in the blank with some weird thing that could happen, right? But, it, you know, at this point, I'm planning on going to Denver. If you're going to be there, find me, high five me, or fist bump me, or whatever people are doing in Denver at that time. Um, e- e- either way. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, again, I'm honored to be a part of those. I really like conferences. I like conferences. I don't want to say I really like them. I like them. They're it's 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 a good challenge to learn about to learn more in depth about a topic uh, to try to put something together that is going to be presented in a more professional context um, and uh, and be able to get more information out in that fashion. Um, you know, I, I don't love them in the sense that, you know, I'm kind of assigning myself work. I don't need to do it, but it's something that I ought to do. It's a good thing to do. And I don't know why I'm complaining about it. I do this once a week or once every other week, as it were. Uh, I know this one's coming out just a little bit late. Uh, things happened. I was celebrating my son's one year anniversary this weekend or one year, one year anniversary. They call those birthdays. My brain is weird tonight. Uh, I'm recording at the house, not at my office during a regular hour. Hours. Um, I don't even know where that came from. I've never even jokingly referred to them as one-year anniversaries. I suppose it still is. It's a one-year anniversary of his birth. So, but again, normal people call them birthdays. So, you know, we had people over and we, um, my, my wife, we, my wife put together a tremendous birthday thing, meaning that uh, she themes everything um uh, like an amazing millennial, uh, themed it uh, a storybook. So she had storybooks and she had shirts that were like golden books uh, that, that that he wore. And my daughter had one. And it was it was it was really fun. And then we went to Disneyland the next day. And who can complain about Disneyland? Me. I can complain about anything. But. This trip was actually relatively delightful, so um, I will try not to complain too much. All right, everybody, so here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to try to just rapidly go through a bunch of questions. By a bunch, probably four, maybe five. We'll see how the zeitgeist or the spirit moves, but um, I'm going to try to go through a couple questions that have been uh, sitting in the mailbox that are seemingly easy, seemingly uh, relatively straightforward, so I'm going to present those talk about those and then move on to a next one. I'm probably not going to put music in between. I'm probably just going to record and get them out of the way and get this uploaded so people aren't wondering where this is. I'm certain that someone out there is wondering whether or not it's coming out. If I wait until Thursday, I know I'm going to get a text from somebody or a message on the Instagrams and um, question whether or not I'm dead. Assume I am. If it comes out on Wednesday, assume for the previous couple of days I'm dead. It's just going to be a good exposure for everybody involved, myself included. So, um, I guess let's begin. So, this first question is going to come from Harper. So, Harper says, I have a fear of looking at my face in the mirror. It started when I was a teenager, and I am now 34. I'm unsure why, although have experienced childhood trauma. I've been in therapy for years, but this issue is unresolved. So, Harper, thank you so much for this question. This, um, so it, this is this is another one of those fantastic examples of if you were in my office, I'd be asking you a ton of extra questions because I'm going to be missing some information from this. So I apologize if I'm not exactly getting at what the 
main concern is with this. So, um, you know, I, I can only take w- 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 with what I have. So, Harper, I'm going to try to make stuff up that kind of makes sense. So, buckle up. Here we go. So, in in terms of the the childhood trauma, I mean, childhood trauma treatment is certainly not something that I am a specialist in. So, I would absolutely refer out to that. Um, I, I'm. I'm going to assume that you are in therapy for this childhood trauma. I think that would that would be th- th- that would be some of my first questions of you know what was the nature of the trauma, what was going on around that time, how old were you, um, what treatment you have been in for it, how successful that's been, what types of things you did within treatment to kind of give me an idea about how it's impacting you. I would try to guess with what sort of what sort of things could have happened that would lead to anxiety about or hesitation to look at your face in the mirror, but I'm, I, 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 I shan't and I can't, so I won't. But um, I, I, if, if you are not in therapy for that, I would encourage you to start there. That being said, if it, if it seems like the the childhood trauma has been treated, has been addressed, but the issue that has been unresolved, the, the, this issue has been unresolved, is the anxiety about looking at your face in the mirror, then certainly exposure and response prevention is going to be an appropriate tool there. Where I would start with this is wondering, well, what goes through your mind when you look at your face in the mirror? What are the thoughts that pop in? These are the intrusive thoughts. This is the internal monologue the, or internal narrative that, 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 your, that your brain just has. Or perhaps maybe you're participating in it and you actively are telling this narrative about what your face looks like. Now, it, 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 I think it's important what it is that you're talking about. Um, in, in terms of how you would craft exposures to this or how you'd craft perhaps scripts to this. Um, but is it, is it that your, is it that your face looks grotesque? Is it, so you're, you're uncomfortable looking at something that's grotesque or perceived to be grotesque. Is it something where you you believe your face doesn't look, um, beautiful or doesn't look uh, presentable um, because that might take in a different direction. I mean, the the first one, I guess the second one as well, they can both be tied into maybe body dysmorphic disorder. That may be something at play. Um, That would be certainly something that I I would talk about. I did a whole episode uh, with Chris Tronsden, um, gosh, a while ago. Uh, You can go back and listen to that whole thing. He has a bunch of stuff about BDD and he provides a lot of fantastic information if that's kind of what's going on. Incidentally, um, I'm going to have Chris Tronston on uh, in the next, um, maybe next week, maybe next Tuesday or Monday, rather, um, to talk about uh, orthorexia, uh, which is a eating disorder. Well, it's a combo kind of overlap Venn diagram of kind of eating disorder mixed with OCD. Um, it, it doesn't quite have its own diagnosis. It kind of leans more in the, it does in fact lead more, lean more into the world of OCD. So it's an interesting conversation, at least I think it was, so you can tune in for that one. Um, but e- either way, Harper, if it feels like it's kind of leaning in that in the direction of BDD, um, listen to that uh, BDD episode and kind of feel if maybe that's the direction to go in. So if it's if it's a concern that it's it's not 
it's too it's too big or it's not thin enough or not shapely enough that could be evidence of or moving more in the direction of an eating disorder or uh, or misperception of of your looks leading to an eating disorder um, obviously there's a lot of information that I would need to really nail that down I'm just kind of throwing some ideas out now let's just say it for whatever reason it's that intrusive um, un- unwarranted irrational f- experience of anxiety that fight or flight that shows up when you look at your face in the mirror then then again that would lead more into exposure and response prevention as an appropriate treatment but i'd want to know what the narrative is in your head i also want to know if if there is something you could nail down what is so terrifying about seeing your face is there a story that goes through your mind about my face looks like this therefore if my face looks like this then blank um what if blank about my face right or is it just this this almost a phobic response um one of the differences or some of the differences i'll just say one of the differences right now between a what's called a simple phobia or or just phobia uh, and ocd is a simple phobia is just it, it kind of has just more of this knee-jerk reaction to it as opposed to this more elaborate story to it now there are some more differences there but for this fear of looking at your face in the mirror, is it is it that you just get overwhelmed by this so you avoid it and you've kind of trained your brain that looking at your face is in fact dangerous? Or And I say dangerous, you're going to say, well, it's not dangerous, I just feel bad. Well, that feel bad is fight or flight. It's your amygdala freaking out about something. It thinks that something is dangerous, so it's going to respond like there's some dangerous. When we respond like it's dangerous, our brain goes... Gosh, Harper thinks this is dangerous. Well, it must be then. So let's keep pumping out this um, uh, this fight or flight feeling, this uh, this adrenaline, and having some of these physiological and emotional responses. Let's keep pumping this out because, well, she thinks it's scary, so it must be scary. So let's keep doing this for her because you know what, Harper, we got your back. It's kind of what it does. So the way you want to do this is to progressively face that fear, face your face in a sense. And maybe you can start to by challenging yourself. I'm kind of thinking about the inhibitory learning model in this, in, in progressively learning that you can encounter your face, look at your face directly for an extended period of time and give yourself, start small. Start like, I'm going to look at myself in the, in the mirror for 10 seconds. And you might say 10 seconds is easy. And I'm going to say, Great. So do 10 seconds and then back off and go, what was that like for that 10 seconds? How did I deal with that 10 seconds? How did my body feel? How did my, how did my, literally, how did my face feel? Where did my, my eyes dart to in that process? Right. And, and, and just to grow that awareness of what's happening, not in a, oh no, this is dangerous sort of way, but in a, huh, curious, huh, interesting type of way. And then after 10 seconds, maybe try 15 seconds and if, and do the same process. And then after that, go to 20 and 25 and so on and so forth, all extending the amount of time that you can and are looking at your face in the mirror. Now, you're going to hit an upper limit where it's going to feel more comfortable or more uncomfortable rather, and it's going to be more of a chore and more of a more of a process. But I would encourage you to stick at it. And again, continually pushing your limits. If you think that you can only go a minute and like after a minute, your brain explodes, go a minute and literally minute and one second. And just to say, you know, I can do that. It felt uncomfortable, but you know what? Was it that bad? 
What did I learn about myself? What did I learn about my ability to handle this feeling and that fear when I looked at my face? And again, back to that, that, that part about looking at your face. What do you notice when you're looking at your face? Are you describing it? Are you looking at particular parts of your face? Is it really uncomfortable to look at one particular part? Your nose, your eyes, your cheeks, your chin, your lips, whatever. Is there something about it that you are really not wanting to look at? In which case, I would say, look at that part in particular. And fluctuate. Look at, let's say it's your nose. Look at your nose and then look at your eyes. Then look at your nose and then look at your lips and then look back at your nose and look at your ears. But practice going to different parts, but again, referencing that one part that feels uniquely uncomfortable. So, Harper, I'm going to be, uh, I, hopefully that was not too quick. I apologize if it was, but man, I've got other questions. So, um, thank you very much, Harper, for this question. And hopefully this is helpful. Hopefully y- you are progressively moving towards this. And again, just just keep this up. All right. So let's move on to another question. So um, this one works. So this one's from Amber. So Amber says, in some of your podcasts, you talked about how certain or have talked about how um, certainly tools can be used compulsively, like challenging your thoughts, identifying thoughts, etc. Can you expand on this more? Uh, can you expand on this more discussing how we can notice if we are using a tool compulsively and how to prevent this from happening? So, Amber, great question. So, this is something that I've referred to in the past. This is a situation where somebody is using one of the tools that I've described or maybe you've read in a blog or seen, you know, on uh, Nathan Peterson's videos or, you know, somewhere else. And um, you hear this tool, you go, oh, that sounds really good. I'm going to start implementing that. And then you feel really anxious one day. First up, you may use this tool and it starts to work. By work, meaning it makes you feel more comfortable, makes you feel like you've got a handle on your anxiety, and maybe legitimately it helped you face your fear and you started to see some recovery you started overcoming a little bit of that anxiety in which case i'm going to say awesome however here's where it starts to become problematic it starts to become problematic when it feels like you now have to use this tool in order to face your fear. And I think that actually describes the main problem with this and how you can start to identify whether or not you're using a tool uh Compulsively, so using it as a problem. So the way that you can start to do this is, do I have to do this? Not, would it be helpful? Would I benefit from it? Does my therapist say it's okay? Does Kevin recommend it? Does Jonathan Hirschfeld or pick a name of a person, do they recommend it? Does my group leader do it? Um, it, it, it doesn't matter. The point is, is do I have to do this? And... and does it feel like this is the way that I now deal with uncertainty is by doing this tool. So if you're running to uh, scripting, uh, you feel anxious, you go, Oh my gosh, I feel so nervous about this. Okay. I know what to do. I should write a script about how terrible this is going to be and how it's uh, going to go awful for me. Awesome. I'll write this thing. I know that'll help. Woo. I wrote it. I got my story out. Oh goodness. It was so uncomfortable. But you know what? I did it right ostensibly it sounds good but the problem is now if you're saying well i feel so uncomfortable about about x happening well if i don't have this tool i'm just gonna have to suffer it or 
what if that thing now happens doing my scripting or doing my automatic thought records or doing my uh, exposure or doing my whatever that makes me feel more comfortable and more certain and more sure that this thing isn't going to happen now that's a rule of thumb is just to start to notice if it feels like you have to do this now the point of all of those tools is so that you don't have to do them it's a weird thing you you learn a whole body of information so that eventually you don't have to do them. Now, obviously, we've talked about in the in the maintenance phase of treatment, you still do these things. Anyways, the, the point is that you don't have to do any of them. All of them are helpful things so that you can learn that you can handle anxiety, that you can be uncertain about stuff, and it's not going to kill you. And uncertainty does not mean that that bad thing is going to happen, that unwanted thing bad is subjective, but that unwanted thing is going to happen. It's not. It's unlikely to happen, right? We can feel uncertain. You can feel scared. You should feel uncertain and scared sometimes. It's a natural human emotion. And also, no one here is entitled to not feel scared or not feel sad or overwhelmed or nervous or feel or or neutral or blank or yeah you get the idea right we feel these feels at times now let's not give them excessive credit we just have them that's the point of all these exposures that's the point of you listening to my dumb podcast right so you can learn that you can manage them and that they're fine the feelings are okay they suck they suck but livable all right so again how can you learn to how can you learn when you're using them compulsively um or do you have to use them? And what feels scary about not doing it right now? What feels scary about saying, I'm just going to let it be there, that feeling, that uncertainty, I'm going to let it be there and I'm going to get back to life. Or I'm going to do nothing about that. Ugh. Right? So, if you get some of that, it may be a good sign that you might be doing it compulsively. Also, maybe take the risk sometime. Try not to use the tool. See what happens. Did anything bad happen? Were you more concerned and ruminating now about whether or not you should or should not have used the tool? If so, that may be a sign that you're more obsessed, that, that, that you are using this compulsively that is now taking more of a focus in your life, right? And it's, it's now being pulling you away. So, um, Amber, that's kind of a rule of thumb um, and something that you can help or something that you can try to do in taking a break from it. Um, And again, in this process, be open to being wrong. I've said this before, and this is another thing to think about as you're considering whether or not you're using a tool compulsively. Part of that doing a tool compulsively is doing treatment perfectly or is trying to uh, uh, overcome and obliterate your anxiety just right. There's no way to do that. So, Take the risk. Maybe don't do it perfectly this time. Maybe don't do it as the book recommends or don't do it as the podcast recommends. Do it wrong. Maybe you're going to be screwed forever. This is kind of a next level exposure, right? It's kind of a meta exposure in a sense. So that's one way that you can help break free from the possibility that this is now taking over. So, Amber, this is a great question, and I hope that was helpful and informative for this process. So keep it up. All right, let's see what the next question is going to be. So this next question is going to come from Jackie. So Jackie says, Hi, Kevin, I absolutely love your podcast. Thanks, Jackie. I absolutely love your question. Uh, She says, "Um, I don't know if this question has already been asked and discussed, but I'm wondering if dreams have 
anything to do with validation of obsessive thought. I suffer from HOCD, and in my dreams, I sometimes have intimate interactions with the same sex, and I wake up in a panic. If this happens in my dream, does that validate my thoughts? I hope that makes sense. Thanks. So, Jackie, yes, it does make sense. Um, so, uh, no, the answer is no. Uh, dreams do not validate pretty much anything. Uh, dreams, uh, well, all right, depending on who you talk to, right? I am a CBT therapist who thinks that dreams are just uh, the poor man's movie theater. Um, that is, um, it's not pejorative, it's just an old saying, probably by old people that are probably all dead now. Um, so it's the, as they used to call it back in the day, um, poor man's movie theater. It's just stuff that happens in our head at night. Now, we can learn things from them. We can maybe be entertained by our dreams. We can maybe get we can sometimes get insight into how we feel about something or um, meaning are, are we really wanting something? Are we not wanting something? Are we um, interested in something? Are we scared by something? Are we intrigued by something? Um, or is it just something that our brain thought about? Right now, you're saying I have HOCD. I said I suffer from HOCD. Okay, here's what that tells me. You have a pattern of obsessive thoughts that, likely speaking, you're spending more than your wanted time thinking about, considering, weighing the options, considering, oh, I've said that already, fearing the possibility that you are uh, that you are gay or that your sexual orientation is not that which you would like it to be. So we tend to dream about things that we think about. We tend to dream about things that are on our mind. We, we dream more about stuff when we think about it more. I know this, this may all sound very simple, but you are thinking about your sexuality quite a bit. It would be no surprise that your sexuality then shows up in your dreams. So, uh, no, excuse me, not, not your sexuality. <laughs> I'm, conf <laughs> I'm, I'm catching myself. Again, it is it's very late as I'm recording, uh, as per my previous discussion about one-year birth anniversaries. Um, no, if you are dreaming about your sexuality, your sexuality and sexual things are going to show up in your dreams. Now, they, do, they, they in and of themselves do not confirm one's sexuality. They are not the windows into your soul or the, the, um, the, the truth about the honest, you know, no filter, bare truth about who you are and what you want and who you want to be stooping. It is, uh, they're, they're, they're things that happen in our brain. Now, again, people are going to disagree with that, and at times they are going to be more accurate than others. However, this is one of those situations, and gosh, I'm going to steal something from Freud in this. I've said this before. Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Okay, what that means is, so that as the story goes, Freud, who had a huge um, interest in dreams and thought that dreams were the end-all be-all and fascinating and told everything about everything about a, a person, um, 
So uh, he also believed that everything that you did and thought about and whatever had some sort of subconscious or deeper meaning. Um, he he also was a very uh, was very fascinated with sex and death. So um, everything was um, everything that we do is driven by the fear of death or the desire for sex. And you know, I'm, this is all uh, an amateur's uh, perspective on Freud, but it's fascinating and interesting and ridiculous and silly and fun. So. Um, so he smoked cigars his entire life, um, which is one of the things that killed him. Um, and he had a protege. His name was Jung. And Jung at some point said, hey, Dr. Freud, gosh, you know what? I couldn't help but notice that you, you had this huge thing about latent homosexuality um, and sexual uh, uh, sexuality. And uh, you smoke cigars. Some cigars are cylindrical tubes that you suck on that tend to be perhaps phallic shaped um gosh i wonder if that says anything about you now from a freudian perspective uh, from a psychoanalytic perspective that would be a fantastic question good on you young for asking that question um because freud would have likely jumped all over that if one of his patients was smoked cigars and he would probably ask that question and here's what he said he said, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Now, I do not know for certain whether or not that story is true, uh, but you know what? It explains this point. Sometimes things have a meaning. Sometimes in dreams, they have a meaning. But you know what? Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Sometimes it just means nothing. So, Jackie, I've told you what I think about dreams. I've told you what perhaps Freud had said about dreams. Um... And I have given you very wishy-washy information as to whether... Very wishy-washy. I'll let you decide. Wishy-washy information about whether or not this actually says anything about your sexuality, because sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, right? This is a fantastic opportunity for you to accept uncertainty. You don't know. And you know what? Who cares? If you are then sitting and ruminating about your dreams, what happened, what'd you do? Who are you with? What'd you do with them? It's a waste of time because it didn't happen. You didn't actually sleep with that person. You didn't actually do that thing to that person's part of the body. They did not do that thing to yours in reality. You did it in a dream. But then again, you also probably flew in your dream or stole something or you were, you, all your teeth fell out or something like that happened in your dream. But you're not worried about that stuff. You're worried about the encounter, whatever it, may, whatever it was. So... It's a waste of time. Don't know. Let yourself not know and move on. So, does it validate your fears? No. And don't let it by spending a lot of time looking for validation. So, Jackie, I hope that answers your question. Um, hopefully it wasn't too backwards and wiggly in my answering, but I do appreciate the question and uh, the kind words as well. So let's move on to the next one. I think I'm just going to do one more because I think this is ending, ending up going a little longer than I anticipated because to no surprise, I can yammer on about 
anything. All right, so this next question comes from Caleb. Caleb says, Hello, I just listened to your podcast about real event OCD, and I realized that Googling and reassurance seeking is a serious compulsion for me. I'd like to hear a discussion about my fear of lawsuits. I've heard it called Letitia phobia. Letitia? Letitia phobia? Anyways. Um, But there's not much information on the subject. The fear that I may be sued someday has caused a lot of compulsions, including my extreme urge to make more money so I could pay off a creditor if necessary. Mainly because of this fear, I have been working. I've been. Excuse me. I have been taking work at jo- at two jobs seven days a week for some time. Ooh, Caleb. All right, I'm gonna take a drink of water. Oh goodness. Um, you know those times when you don't drink water, and then you finally drink water, and you realize how amazing water is. Um, I also have a tremendous. Interest. I'm going to say interest and not use any other words um, with soda water, uh, carbonated water. I used to hate it when I was younger. It's magic. Why is this not everywhere? It's, it is in Europe. I understand it is in Europe. I went to Germany once. It was everywhere. I had to like go out of my way to get still water. Uh, what a stupid, stupid person I was at 18, not taking advantage of fantastic Fantastic soda water. Anyways, Caleb, your question. All right, so here's the thing. You're right. There isn't a whole lot of information about this. And gosh, I I could probably do a whole episode on um, this if I could learn to pronounce it. Letitia phobia. Um, probably based on litigation. Letitia phobia. Anyways, um, for the the uh, phobia Friday series. So, um, but I'm not. I'm gonna yammer on about it here. So. You're right. There's not a ton of information on this. Um, but from what I read, it does very much sound like a standard kind of phobia. It's kind of it's it's an irrational fear that affects someone and causes some compulsive behaviors, as it is in your case. So the what what I did read that I found was relatively interesting on the subject is that there there is some let's see if I can find it here so there are some things to consider so um so there isn't a whole lot of information about how often this happens so what the prevalence is or or um you know what what causes it um this one article i I had kind of I, I'd read suggests that you know it, it it can come from a lot of different factors uh, it can certainly come from a traumatic uh, event so it can, can it can come from perhaps seeing a family member or loved one uh, go through a, a a terrible lawsuit uh that can that can cause it but you know it can also just stem from seeing you know endless TV shows and movies that talk about being sued or or um, true crime podcasts or true crime stuff talking about getting sued just watching the news um, can be can can trigger people um, this now I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this is um, if they were to do a bigger study on this to analyze how often this happens uh, across the world, I would say this is going to be really high here in America because we love suing people and we're really good at it. So I I, I have been told that by um, some of my international clients that they whenever I refer to a lawsuit they just go that's it's a very American of you or something like that. So we have a reputation. Um, we have a lot of reputations, unfortunately. Anyways, so the 
so it can come from that. It can, it can, um, it, it, this article also interestingly pointed out that it can also come from perhaps a, a, a misunderstanding of how the legal system works in, in, in your country or province or um, system that, that you're in. So sometimes maybe a, a misunderstanding about how one gets sued, when someone gets sued, how that process works out, what the burden of proof is, um, you know, wh- whether or not, um, you know, whether or not certain lawsuits or certain um, cases will be thrown out more easily than others for frivolity or frivolous lawsuits. Um, so, so to all of that, um, one of the first things to do if, if you were in my office w- would be to start looking at what how that fear works out in your mind. What is it that you are afraid of? What's that story your brain's telling you about how it's going to work? When's it going to happen? Uh, who's going to be doing it to you? Um, uh, 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 how's it going to play out, etc. Um, some of that can be challenged through some some education. So we'd learn together about about maybe some elements where you're kind of confused on, but your anxiety capitalizes on that lack of information and just fills in the blank with the worst case scenario. So we're going to look into that a, a little bit, right? We're not going to become legal experts on these things because that's not what's important. But we're going to be looking into it just a little bit to maybe... Uh, to, to learn that perhaps that fear is more unfounded than it it is currently, and that any and that that the amount of attention you're giving it is further unnecessary. So um, the other thing to consider, and I think this this um, the article kind of touches on this, but but I would also say, I mean, one of the things to consider is, I mean, Caleb, have you done or are you doing things that deserve lawsuits? I mean, not to give you more things to worry about, but that can be an important question to consider. You know, have you done things? You talked about real event. Have you done things that are worthy of lawsuits? Now, it doesn't mean that, that it means you are going to get sued or that you, in fact, are, you know, then guilty of cancellation or guilty of whatever. Um, but it's to but it's to consider, you know, maybe there's something that I'm, I'm feeling guilty about, and that guilt is manifesting as this fear of uh, of lawsuits. Um, the other thing to consider, well, further to that point is, are, are there things that you're currently doing that are shady or shifty or or you know not above board, right? We, I, I say this, I, well, I've said this about murder, you know, the best way to not murder, or the best way to not become a murderer is to not try to murder people. I mean, the best way to not get sued is to not do things that warrant suing or warrant, warrant lawsuit. Um, now, it, that being said, one of the realities, let's say you're in the States. One of the unfortunate realities is you can sue anybody for anything. I don't know who told me this. This might be my ethics professor. You can be sued for anything. It doesn't mean it's going to stick. It doesn't mean that that's, that lawsuit is going to mean anything or go anywhere. But you can um, be named in a suit. You can have a lawsuit brought against you, which requires you to then um, you know, get counsel and um, at some point show up in some, some type of court or you know, answer to it in some legal way. It can be a colossal pain in the tuchus, but it doesn't mean that it's, it means that you're guilty, going to jail, going to be canceled, whatever. It just means that someone, if they want to, can be a colossal um, jerk. Let's say jerk. Um, so that that's not going to stop somebody. So, 
So, so one of the ways to then look at treatment of this is to is literally is to accept the uncertainty about this. Now, to the point about whether or not you're doing something that deserves uh, a lawsuit, I would spend about five seconds considering this. If you identify something, perhaps that's something worth chatting about with a therapist on whether or not that's something you should be working out or something, the guilt you should be working out or reevaluating, or perhaps there is an element of um, uh, something that, that you need to do to rectify a situation, uh, maybe an amends process, or maybe, um, you know, actually taking accountability for something that you had done. Um, and that may not be fun for you, but that may also be a more values-based approach uh, to to your life and to this guilt. Now, I'm saying I'm not saying you have to do any of this stuff. Uh, this is more stuff to think about and to consider with a therapist. Um, but getting back to it, I think I got myself off track with that. Um, <clears throat> let's do. A <laughs> All right, getting back to it is that. Um, to this, to this fear, considering if there is anything, is there if is there anything to it? Now, let's say there's absolutely nothing to it, and it's just crazy. If it's just crazy, then we need to sit with that uncertainty. Maybe you are. Maybe today is the day that you are going to get sued, and your life is going to get screwed over. I'll say this: maybe today is the day I'm going to get sued, and my life's going to be screwed over. It's possible. It's unlikely. But it's possible. Now I need to wake up, and I need to I need to go to work, and or I need to get dressed, and then go to work, and then see my clients, and you know, do my notes, and and not break as as you know a ton of traffic laws, and then get home, and not murder and eat my family, and you know stuff like there's stuff to do, and I have to live my day not knowing if I'm going to get sued. Now, Caleb, there are a bunch of things that you're doing that you are also not concerned about. Again, you are not concerned about killing and eating your family. You are not concerned about dying in a car wreck, you're not concerned about a sinkhole opening up on the freeway on the way to work or to school. Um, these are all things that can happen, but these are things that are unlikely to happen, similar to a lawsuit. Now, we the way we live as if it's not a problem is we don't spend excessive amounts of time analyzing it, considering it, weighing it, concerned about it. We let it go. When that thought comes in, we go, oh, that thought. We roll our eyes and we keep on going. Now, it's easier said than done, obviously, but it's a practice of, of, of letting yourself not be concerned. And the way we do that is by, is by getting ourselves more involved with that next thing. We get back to that TV show. We get back to that article we're reading. We get back to that conversation with our professor rather than going, oh, I need to figure this out in the back of my head, start working this out. We let it not be a problem. So that's how you would consistently start to do this. Now, in terms of exposures, I would encourage you, Caleb, to watch as many things as you can that have to do with lawsuits. You can read lawsuits. You can just straight up just watch C-SPAN all the time. Is C maybe C-SPAN's not through. Is it what is it? Court TV. Watch Court TV all the time. Um, write write scripts about you getting sued. Um, you can have your friends give you and serve you fake, um, fake lawsuits or fake servings. When you get served, what are you served? Subpoenas, give you fake subpoenas. Um, 
to trigger this anxiety. Now, these are all silly, silly, scary things, but what it's going to do is it's going to help you to tolerate that thought and tolerate that, 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 that nagging feeling and that nagging question about whether or not you are going to get sued and let you practice letting it go. That's the point. I'll also say this. I'll end with this. You may never eliminate this, meaning getting sued sounds terrible. I have never been sued, thank goodness. I've been subpoenaed, and that doesn't feel very good, but I've never been sued. I don't want to get sued, and gosh, I can imagine that that sucks. I don't think there's a way that you and I are going to unsuck this. There's no way that we're going to make it okay, right? It's like being okay with getting pneumonia, right? Like, I've gotten pneumonia probably a hundred times in my life. I'll guarantee I've gotten pneumonia more times than anybody who's listening to this. It's never fun. I've gotten used to it. I know what it's like. I know how it feels. And I just kind of go, ugh, pneumonia. I literally had my grandfather say, this is when I was younger. It's like, you know, getting pneumonia back in the day was a was a one-way ticket, kind of insinuating that if you got pneumonia back in the day, you'd you were dead. And I got it a ton. So, I don't know. My grandfather had a wonderful way with words. Maybe that's where I get it from. Interesting. I didn't think about it that way before, but now I am. So, point is, it's that um, it sucks. Pneumonia still sucks. And I ride through it. When I get it, actually get it. When you actually get sued, when, if, that, that's all, that'll suck. But you know what? It's not happening right now. So this is a situation where you're going to cross that bridge when you get there. So when that thought comes in, say, yeah, that'll suck. This is part of that non-engagement response as we perhaps talked about before. Yeah, that's going to suck. It's going to be uncomfortable and oof, I don't want to do that. And ugh, gosh, I want to read about lawsuits or I want to avoid talking to this person or I want to think about what I've done, reanalyze, or as I've said before, relitigate, no pun intended, all the things I've said and done in the past to make sure that I'm not going to get sued. All of that is going to be a waste of energy and a waste of time. Instead, go, yeah, maybe today's the day. And then move on and see how it goes. So, Caleb, I hope this has been helpful. I know it's scary. I don't want you to get sued. I'll say that again. But you might. I might. And we're going to have to sit with that uncertainty. So, um, so I'll leave it there. Um, I'm just reading a thing again. Uh, I mean, in terms of in, in terms of your concern about you know taking on these excessive jobs, my worry is you're just going to burn yourself out because of this fear. You are going to drive yourself crazy by working so hard because of this fear about getting sued. Now, I mean, making money is great and helpful, and you can do a lot of very wonderful things with it. But uh, meaning generosity and kindness and gifts and all and all and security, like all those things, like, but it's still these are all good things. But if you're if you're working seven days a week at two jobs um, and you're making an excessive amount of money, not just you're saving up to buy a house or you know you're working that amount to do something with it, pay off college. I don't know. It's like you're saving up to get a giant nest egg just in case. I would take the risk, if you can, and maybe talk about this with trusted uh, friends or a therapist about this, take a risk at pulling back on some of the work that you're doing. That'll be an exposure unto itself to say, you know what, I'm going to work 
I'm going to work one less day. I'm going to take a day off from one of my jobs. Again, if this is possible for you, but again, I don't think that you're doing this to make ends meet just to make the bare minimum. It sounds like you're doing this in excess, in which case uh, this would be a good exposure to pull back on it. So, and then feel that discomfort of, oh my gosh, maybe I'm not going to have enough when I get sued and it's going to be awful, right? That's the great premise for a great script. Write it and experience it and sit with the uncertainty and at some and move, let yourself move on from it. Let yourself not get certainty. Let yourself not get comfort with the idea that you could get sued, but move on. Caleb, I hope this has been helpful and informative and gave you some things to think about. Ugh, it's uncomfortable and I, I don't want it to happen to you, but um, I can't guarantee anything, right? All right, I will let that go here. And um, I think at some point I'll just kind of sneakily sneak in this music at the very end, as I normally do. So I'll say this. Thank you all so much for making it through this perhaps yammering episode. This is a rapid-fire episode of uh, questions. So... Um, I'll say this, please remember everybody. Well, I'll say this. If, if you have further questions about um, this or if you'd like to add information about this, go to fearcastpodcast.com and send me a message over there um, and uh, tell me I got it totally wrong. Or if you were one of the people that asked the question, tell me what you did and what worked. We all want to know. Um, uh, but if you would like to ask a further question about this, uh, go to fearcastpodcast.com and let me know. Uh, as I've mentioned before, I really do prefer um, audio questions. So you can record an audio uh, or record your voice in audio. Send it to me uh, through the website or through um, Instagram or send me a, the link to a shared Google Drive with that audio. Uh, and I will, I will put that in and I will jump you to the front of the, uh, to, to the, front of the line. So... Um, everybody, please remember that uh, the uh, the FearCast is not substitute for psychotherapy. If you have questions about treatment, go to FearCastPodcast.com and click on the Find Help link. And there's going to be some stuff there that should be able to uh, point you in the right direction. So, everybody, until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.